Hey guys, last week's episode was a real barn burner. Woo! <laughs> we went deep into the idea that the Holy Spirit is not only still present, but attempting to re-enliven the church in a new way by an interior move, which I talked about in terms of contemplation, right? Okay, if you didn't know, I'm the construction monk. And we are in the middle of a series entitled Calling All Misfits. But we're talking about this new church that God wants to bring about and the people he's already started to prep and stir for that new church, right? And so last week the topic was contemplation and it talked about my, you know, panic attack and uh, seven years ago my breakdown and the seven-year desert journey I've been in and how I've been learning how to hear the Holy Spirit, right? But I want to back up a bit in this episode and I want to talk about why the Holy Spirit hasn't seemed to be as evident in modern Christianity and how that's been changing, but how the church still wrestles with the idea that the Holy Spirit can be present. We can really hear God, know God, and sense God moving through our spirits. So this week's episode is called Cessationism. It's a really big churchy word. We'll, we'll talk about. Hey guys, this is a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Stewart. Let's get into the topic of cessationism. All right. All right, so have you heard of the term cessationism? There's an alternative and opposite term called continuationism. <laughs> we do like our isms, isms and schisms. Uh, yeah, we divide over isms and create schisms, right? That's a line from a Lauren Hill song. You can figure it out. <laughs> no, it's uh, the song is called Freedom Time. It's a good song. Anyway. Schisms and isms, keeping us in forms of religion. <laughs> but anyway, there's these two ideas. Funny thing about cessationism. So what is it? It's the idea that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased. It's an idea that the gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased after the first 12 apostles. And the idea basically is that Jesus gave the first 12 apostles the ability to have the gifts of the Spirit and to pass them on. But he they didn't have the ability to pass them on or they didn't have the sorry they didn't have the ability to give the gift of passing them on they could pass them on but they couldn't pass on the passing on <laughs> that's that was the idea and so basically after the second generation of christians died out so did the gifts of the spirit funny story this idea that the gifts of the Spirit died out in the second century didn't come about till the 16th century. <laughs> I love church history, man. It's comical sometimes. So what was going on in the 16th century was the Swiss Reformation. So you had the German Reformation, you know, with Luther, and then you had this, kind of the second generation reformers like Zwingli and Calvin came along. You know, they were vibing off of, of Luther, but they had some differences, even with Luther, but especially with the Catholic Church, just like Luther. One of, the, one of the hot topics of the day in the Swiss Reformation with Calvin and Zwingli was miracles and signs and wonders. And so the Catholic Church had the belief that miracles could happen. And one of the things that, that, requ that was required to be a saint was that miracles had to be associated with that saint. Either they did miracles or there were miracles associated with their death and entombment. Anyway... So the Catholic Church maintained the idea that the Holy Spirit still did perform some of the gifts, you know, healings and speaking in tongues. But 
the Protestant Reformation like really broke away from the Catholic Church and rejected much of the Catholic Church, right? You know, like the Catholic Church has seven sacraments. Protestantism has two. Like really, even though Protestantism was a continuation of the church because it was a protest movement of reform, they really rejected a lot of the Catholic Church. And so Zwingli, Calvin, and their followers, the, the thing that's now called reform theology, adopted this idea of cessationism. They, they didn't like the, the Catholic idea that this Holy Spirit could still perform through people the gifts, right? But it's funny because they retro, they made their cessationism retroactive. <laughs> they, like, they were like, forget the last 1600 years of the church and the fact that there's documentation that the gifts of the Spirit are still there. We're just, we just don't like the Catholic Church. And so we're just going to say, uh, you know, ever since the second century, the gifts of the Holy Spirit haven't been there. And cessationism has been a very strong value in the Protestant Church ever since. Okay? And, if, you know, it's not hard. You can guess that continuationism is just the idea that the gifts do continue. Okay? So... <laughs> That's the first thing that I wanted to discuss. The second thing is the new move of the Spirit. There's been these waves of the Holy Spirit in more modern times where we've seen a direct, visible, and large move of the Spirit in large groups of people. The first one was in 1906. It took place in Los Angeles. Uh, It was called the Azusa Street Revival, and it was... Um, William J. Seymour was kind of the beginning figure of this movement. And it was a move of the Holy Spirit. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit happened. It's, you can look it up. It's documented, okay? That was wave one of the Holy Spirit. Wave two was 1959 with Dennis Bennett. Uh, he was an Episcopalian minister. And that was also in California. Wave three of the Holy Spirit, the move of the Holy Spirit in the church... There was just a movie about this called Jesus Revolution. It happened in the 1970s. It was really, most people would point to Lonnie Frisbee as the kind of the, the person who began this movement. And it took place in Costa Mesa, California. And, you know, Chuck Smith and Greg Laurie and Calvary Chapel were involved in all of that. And also the Vineyard movement came out of this new move of the Holy Spirit, too. It's The Vineyard is considered the newest denomination in Christianity. It's about 50 years old. It began in the 70s. Lonnie Frisbee and John Wimber, both among many others, kind of helped found this movement. But Lonnie was the Holy Spirit instigating element, right? Uh, Look up Mother's Day Sermon, Lonnie Frisbee, John Wimber, and you'll... This is the moment when Lonnie visits John Wimber's church and the Holy Spirit breaks out, right? So there's been these three waves of the Holy Spirit since 1906. And here we are, 2023, you know, 120 years later. So we see that the gifts of the Spirit have come back in a more dynamic way in the last 120 years. In the interim, the gifts of the Spirit haven't been missing. But you had this Protestant move away from the gifts of the Spirit, as viewed by the Catholic Church. And interestingly enough, the Catholic Church moved away from the gifts of the Spirit to a degree in 1054, which is actually the correct date of the great schism between the Eastern Orthodox and the Catholic Church. I just don't remember dates very well. I apologize. But 
Easter, from, from my perspective and my understanding and the research I've done on the Eastern Orthodox Church, they were a lot more mystical than the Catholic Church. When the Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox Church broke, you know, in, in 1054, the Catholic Church rejected a lot of the mysticism of the Eastern Orthodox Church. Now, the Catholic Church maintained a degree of mysticism in the, in the gifts of the Holy Spirit in monasticism, which is where contemplation comes from, right? So monks had this idea that, that we could still know God intimately, hear God intimately. It's what they called contemplation. Now, contemplation was a different perspective on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It was really the idea of the gift of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't adverse to the gifts because the gifts come from the gift, right? So, one, two, three waves of the Holy Spirit since 1906, right? The fourth wave is contemplation. How is it different than the first three waves? But how is it also a continuation? Well, okay, so the first three waves of the Holy Spirit focused on the gifts of the Spirit, as I've already said. Contemplation focuses on the gift of of the Holy Spirit. But contemplation wasn't so focused on the manifestation of the Spirit, but a relationship with the Spirit in a way that allowed us to know God, keep in step with the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, in order to just be a loving presence in the world. Like, con contemplatives weren't so focused on manifesting the gift of the Spirit through the gifts. You know, they weren't so focused on speaking in tongues and works of miracles and healing and all the other gifts, right? The prophetic. Um, they were more focused on, hey, you know, it's just like we need the Holy Spirit. We need to be in relationship with God and we need to have an active, real, real intimate relationship with God to be able to hear God follow Jesus, keep in step with the Holy Spirit in order to be the church in the world. So, way four, I believe, is the deepest reality of the gift of the Holy Spirit which has been coming, but it's like the gifts have been the first three waves of the Spirit, but the, like, the deepest, biggest, fullest expression of the Holy Spirit is the gift of the Holy Spirit himself with us. And if you read Scripture, there's lists of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but the gift of the Holy Spirit is primary. And Paul in uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, where he says, you know, you know, if I have the gift of prophecy and I give my body to be burned at the stake and I do all these works but don't have love, you know, it's, I, I'm, it's nothing. It's like, and, you know, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And so, like, love is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, right? The gift of the Holy Spirit produces the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Holy Spirit. I think the fruits are, as Paul says, the higher manifestation of the Spirit is the fruits, not the gifts. The gifts can be there or not. And we see that the gifts aren't as prominent in, you know, in large part in the biggest section of the history of the church, which is the Middle Ages, right? You don't see them as manifest. Now, they're still there. In Eastern Orthodox, they're still there, very prevalent. In the Catholic Church, they're still there kind of in the corners and the fringe and saints, which typically most saints were contemplatives because contemplatives still believe that God was present through the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit could manifest. But the average Catholic priest and Catholic congregate, they weren't seeing the gifts. They weren't really believing in the gifts or practicing the gifts or looking for the gifts, right? So the new move from 1902 
six on was the gifts coming back in a more dynamic way, not just kind of here and there and on the fringes, right? But like entire church movements. This is what we now call Pentecostalism and charismatic, charismaticism, sorry. And the first three waves were one of those two. Uh, uh, I can't remember one. The first wave might have been charismaticism. Second wave, Pentecostalism. The third wave was called neo-charismaticism. But the difference between those is both believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Um, one of them believes that the Spirit moves. The other believes that we invite the Spirit to move. And so like one kind of puts all the impetus on the Spirit. The other puts the impetus on us to invite the Spirit to come, you know. One of the popular phrases in the vineyard is come Holy Spirit. Like we're inviting you in. And I think, I just think both can be true. I'm not really an either or kind of Christian, right? I'm, a, I'm very ecumenical. I really see good in every tradition. And I think like the Spirit can do whatever the heck the Spirit wants. But hey, shouldn't we invite the Spirit, right? Shouldn't we make room for the Spirit? But man, here's the thing about cessationism is if you grow up in a church tradition that says the gifts of the Spirit no longer exist, but you still believe in the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know what, what happens and what has happened is, yes, you have the Holy Spirit, but you're not going to have any manifest evidence of the Holy Spirit. And like, sure, we can say, like the fruits of the Spirit, we, we need those, right? But is it really the Holy Spirit in you doing those? Like, are you looking to the Spirit to manifest the fruits? If you don't believe the Spirit really manifests in any way, and you've been taught this, and like you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, but it's basically just a, a seal guaranteeing your eventual salvation, and there isn't really any active presence of the Spirit or any idea that the Spirit can be active and you can keep in step with the Spirit, as Galatians teaches, as Paul teaches in Galatians. Like, you're going to pretty much drop the idea that the fruits of the Spirit come through a very intimate manifest experience of the Spirit either, right? Both gifts and fruits flow from the Spirit, but cessationism pretty much produced in the Protestant church this idea that you're not going to really have any kind of felt sense of the Spirit anymore. So, last episode I talked about how I've gone through this journey of learning to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. It didn't lead me to the to have um, the gifts of the Spirit, you know, in a way. But it has led me to the fruits of the Spirit. And I do have one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So I don't have any of the more manifest gifts, I should say. Like speaking in tongues, laying on of hands, healing people. Um, I do have the gift of spiritual discernment. But one of the questions is, for me anyway, is, is the gift of spiritual discernment meant for every Christian? Is it just part of the gift of the Holy Spirit? Like what... You know, it, uh, Paul's really clear, and he talks about the gifts of the Spirit in three different passages. One is 1 Corinthians 12. The other is Ephesians 4. I'm doing this from memory, by the way. I think it's Ephesians 4. He talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, and then he talks about the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians. When he talks about the gifts of the Spirit, he specifically says, and I think it's in Corinthians, where he says, the Spirit distributes them as the Spirit sees fit. He says, to some, the gift of prophecy, to some evangelism, to some teaching, to some preaching, to some pastoring, to some administrations, to some healings. Like, so, like, one thing we can say is the gifts of the Spirit are individual, and not everybody will have, I don't think anybody will have more than one. And so it's possible that you're going to have some of the gifts not manifest in a group of people 
So the gifts are like for in, are individually distributed, but the gift of the Spirit is meant for every Christian. And the Spirit is meant to be active in every Christian. But, but cessationism really put forth the idea that we can't really learn to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit anymore. If the gifts were gone, then the gift of the Spirit was kind of put in a corner and gone. And like, yeah, there was a great suspicion at least in the idea that we could be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And so, like, my point is we're really up against the wall as the Protestant church movement in our attempt to come back to a greater sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And potentially some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, if not all, and also the fruits of the Holy Spirit as really grounded in the Spirit himself. Okay? So, but obviously God's been moving in the church. The Pentecostal charismatic church is evidence of that. Now, it's pretty cool because the vineyard among all the charismatic movements is the most balanced between the Spirit and Scripture, okay? So, you know, the stigma with the charismatic movement is they've really gone down this path of seeking the Spirit to such a degree that they've thrown out Scripture. Or they don't, they treat Scripture a lot more casually. But there's this, within the charismatic movement, there's what I call conservative charismatic. My wife's fam, my wife's parents, and, and she as a child grew up in a conservative charismatic church where they heavy on Bible teaching, but also very open and to the, you know very open and active in the gifts of the spirit. Well, the vineyard's the same way. Vineyard, they call this the radical middle. It's a good example of a church that is like we got to stick with scripture and but we got to make room for the Holy Spirit to move. And guess what? They've seen the Holy Spirit move. Lonnie Frisbee helped found this church in a move of the Holy Spirit, right? It's all there to look up, you know. You can um Look at the Vineyard Movement. Google the Toronto Blessing. That was a vineyard church. The Spirit moved there in a very dynamic way. Out of that came a lot of, like a lot of movements of people that were anointed by the Holy Spirit. And now we see, again, a stirring of the Holy Spirit. I think this move is contemplation. And I think the reason that it's contemplation partly is because you see a lot of people being stirred by the Spirit, but not necessarily being manifest with the gifts. Now, there are people manifest with the gifts, but those are, I would say, a carryover from the first three waves of Pentecostalism and charismaticism. (laughs) That's a hard word to say. What we have now is, I think, a more deep and clear manifestation of the Spirit in the truest form of the gift of the Spirit, which is the fruits. We've seen the gifts, but the fruits are coming, and this new church that God's bringing about is going to be more dynamic in the fruits, not necessarily the gifts. Not necessarily without some of the gifts. I have the gift of spiritual discernment. It means I'm able to discern spirits, evil spirits, people's spirits, the Holy Spirit. Okay? But that's not a gift that anybody could really see the evidence of, you know. It's, it's, an, it's a gift that has more to do with the internal. And I think contemplation, it is more about the internal. And what are we seeing and younger generations now is that the Spirit's stirring, but we don't have any really good teaching in, especially in Protestantism, about 
what that is. And so it's being misdiagnosed and misunderstood. And it's not like charismaticism or Pentecostalism in their three waves. So it doesn't have the external manifestation where people are speaking in tongues or rolling on the floor or gold dust, you know, feeling their teeth or falling, you know, or healings, right? It's manifesting like anxiety. That's how it happened for me. I had a three-day panic attack. I had a breakdown. It was the beginning of God leading me through my desert season in order to learn to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Like, So this is the way I describe it. It's like God pulled the lid off of my numb kind of inner state and the way that I had tried to kind of cope with my anxiety by pushing it down, pushing it away. It's like all of a sudden God pulled the lid off of my sensitivity, exposed it like a wound. And the result was I had a panic attack because my sensitivity to my interior state and spirit, my spiritual sensitivity in general was, it was like someone took the volume on my spiritual sensitivity and turned it from zero to 10 all of a sudden. And it was like, oh, all of a sudden inside me, I was really sensitive. And I just, I felt I was feeling things. I didn't know what I was feeling. And it was just, to me, it was a lot of fear and panic attacks. And then I've spent seven years. At that point, I had already been through my spiritual awakening from 22 to 20. From 22 to 29 was my spiritual awakening. From 29 to 42, when I had my panic attack, was really learning to keep in step with the spirit in what's called the cataphatic stage, which I'm not going to go into here. You could look that up. So there's two stages in Christianity, the cataphatic and the apophatic. I said I wasn't going to explain it, but I am. Cataphatic is like more when we're still in the sin nature, not really, learn, have, not really having learned how to follow God. The apophatic is more contemplative when we've learned how to be sensitive to God. That's what contemplatives call mystical union. But the apophatic is when we've gone through the dark night of the soul and the desert experience and we've been crushed, broken, and healed of our self-willed life, crucified on the cross, death, you know, we've been put to death, we've been buried, we've been resurrected, resurrected into this new creation. The apophatic is that place where we're now more sensitive to God and able to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. I've been through that. It's taken a long time. But it's produced in me an inner sensitivity more than external, an external manifestation of gifts, right? Woo! So, one of the things that I do want to emphasize, though, because I think, you know, because of cessationism and the suspicion of both the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the gift being more manifest. A lot of people have the sense that charismaticism and anything like it is unbiblical, right? We see it in the, the New Testament, but it's gone. No, it doesn't happen anymore. And so, especially with contemplation... Is this really a key feature of every Christian that they should be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and able to hear God speak? Or was it just a gift that has passed, right? I think we need to see it in Scripture. And like something that's been a part of my journey, I was was never in the charismatic Pentecostal church. I was never drawn to that. I grew up in the Stone Campbell Restoration Movement, right? I already said that. Very biblical-based. They're... statement motto was unity and truth like we if we have the right theology we'll be unified around the right thinking right i mean so i grew up in a very intellectual church and i've been moving away from that but i didn't move away from that into 
charismatic Pentecostalism. I moved away from that into contemplation. It's different, similar, but different. It's still, like contemplation still believes in the gift of the Holy Spirit being manifest, but it, the way that it manifests is that we, we grow into an inner sensitivity where we can sense the move of the Spirit from within us. Okay, But is it biblical? And is it still prevalent and possible today? We're going to go to Galatians first. Okay, I've already mentioned Galatians, right? Like Paul makes it very clear that the gift of the Holy Spirit is the key defining feature of the Christian. And I think all the New Testament does, and the Old Testament supports it. So like this is the premise. Every Christian should have the gift of the Holy Spirit and should have a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. So Paul in Galatians chapter 2 verse 19 says this, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. Okay, so he's, he's the law, the law of Moses. But the law of Moses was about, hey, here's some right rules and principles. We just need to follow those through our own efforts and we'll be fine. But he's saying, like, if you're a Christian, you've died to this whole concept and paradigm of following God and being right with God. It's not about right rules and just know the right things and follow the right principles and that's what it means. He's like, we've died to that. Died means we don't do that anymore. And now we've done that so that we can live for God. And so he says in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So now we live in Christ and Christ in us. In the life we live we now live by faith in the Son of God. So there's this idea, again, we don't just have some principles of Christ or the way that Christ lived as a model for life. We have Christ himself in us and us in Christ. Okay, he says all that. Jumping over to chapter 3, verse 2, Paul writes, he's talking to the Christians in Galatia, the province of Galatia, which would have been a collection of churches more than likely. And he's saying... He's trying to lay out this idea of what it means to be a Christian. And then he addresses the fact that, he, that they've wandered from the true meaning of being Christian. And he says, verse 2, chapter 3, This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He's like, okay, there's two different ways we can come to God. Try to work it out yourself by following good rules in your own effort or the Holy Spirit. And Paul's like, it's, it's diametrically opposed, these two ways, and it's clear which one is the Christian. It's the Holy Spirit, right? Okay? Um, now I'm jumping over to Romans. Romans, Paul lays out this even more clearly. He says... Romans chapter 7, verse 18. For I know that good does not dwell in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good I want to do, I do not do. So he's, he's laying out in Romans chapter 7 the fact that in ourselves we don't have the ability to follow God, to be Christian, to be good. Okay? He says in verse 22, For I joyfully agree with the law of God in the inner person, right? They're talking about the inner life. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, the law which is in my body parts. I don't think he's talking literally physical body parts, but he's saying, I have this inner person, my spirit, that wants to do good, but there's this other nature in me that's waging war. And so the idea that it is that we really cannot 
follow Christ and be Christian in our own efforts because there's this thing at war against that. We're powerless, okay? So then he goes on to chapter 8 in Romans and says, verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was, through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering. Okay? So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, capital S. We walk according to the Spirit. And he goes on. For those who are in accord with the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who are in accord with the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. So, Paul makes it real clear in Galatians. We live life by the Holy Spirit. We have this inner person that has a sensitivity to the Spirit, but there's something in us that has covered it over and is in conflict with it that has to be gotten out of the way, and that's gotten out of the way through the cross of Christ. But that's a process too. There's a process the Christian needs to go through to have the sin nature crucified, which is, I'm okay, I can do it, just tell me the right rules, I'll follow them, and, and I can be good enough. So that has to be gotten out of the way. And then the Spirit needs to come in. And we need to learn how to follow the Spirit. This is what it means to be Christian. The cross of Christ deals with our sin nature. So the Spirit can come in and lead. The thing about Protestantism in the process of divorcing itself from the idea of the active role of the Holy Spirit is that it got stuck in the cataphatic from my perspective, which is, hey guys, just learn the right truths. We're an intellectual denomination movement and really was founded. I mean, you know, Luther had an intellectual protest, right? That's the 95 Theses at, on the door of Wittenberg. Like, this is what started the Protestant Reformation and then the Swiss Reformation. And it was like, we disagree with some truths. And so the Protestant Reformation was very much more founded on this idea that, hey, principles. And now, you know, there was still some aspects of contemplation in the Protestant Reformation. Like in in the uh, Hutterites and the Mennonites uh, and the Quakers, they all were more mystical and contemplative. But they were, they were minorities. Most of the Protestant Reformation was like, they're stuck in the cataphatic because they're like, you just got to know the right stuff and just try real hard. <laughs> and that's it. And yeah, you have the Holy Spirit, but don't talk to me about the manifestation of the Spirit either in either as a gift or in the gifts or in the fruits. You just try real hard to love more. That's what it means to be a Christian. You just try real hard to have, be more joyful. And, um, you know, you got the Spirit. It's just this ticket to heaven. But Paul makes it very clear, the key feature of the Christian is the sin nature needs to get crucified. You, like, you can't continue to try to do it in your own strength. That has to be done away with in order for the Holy Spirit to come in so you can start to be close to God, hear God, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Cessationism in the Protestant Reformation really started the church, the Protestant church, down this path of don't talk about the Holy Spirit. Don't talk to me about how the Holy Spirit can move. Don't talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit or the gift of the Holy Spirit or the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's just know the right truth and try real hard and after you die, you'll be perfected. Cessationism became a ceasing of 
any ability to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. But Scripture is very clear that this is the central feature of a Christian. You can't have the gifts or the fruits without the Spirit being manifest somehow. Contemplation kept in Catholicism, that kept alive the idea that some could be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, but they were these special monk people. And then Protestantism was just like, forget all of it. No miracles, no gifts. Well, well, but we still like the fruits because that's like, that, you know, Scripture says we got to be loving. So let's just try to be loving, and, but forget the Spirit. Like you got the Spirit, but don't expect to hear the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Cessationism really produced in the Protestant church this idea that we can no longer have contact with God in a real way. But that's not what Scripture says. And my journey, interestingly enough, in the middle of a Protestant, you know, cessationist church, and many cessationist churches was, I think I can hear God because Scripture tells me that. Like, I was just reading Scripture. Scripture led me on this journey to believe I could hear God because Scripture said I should. And it was through Scripture alone that I, you know, grew on this journey because the churches around me weren't teaching me this. In fact, even when I went to Bible college twice, I went to two different Restoration Movement Bible colleges, I had professors tell me that crazy people think they can hear from God. It's like, it's dangerous to say you hear God. It's dangerous to hear God. To think you hear God, rather. It's not dangerous to hear God. Well, it can be, because then God might have to take over and start to lead you. That is scary, actually. But I just want you to understand what we're up against. Like the Catholic Church broke away in some, to some degree to the idea of what the Eastern Orthodox calls theosis, which is knowing God intimately. It like pushed it into the fringe, into the corners, and monasticism, and contemplation. And then the Protestant church movement was like, ah, just, just toss it all, and just be intellectual, and just try real hard. And yeah, you have the Holy Spirit, but don't you talk to me about the manifestations of the Spirit in the, in the gifts or the fruits as the gift. But the gift of Jesus is the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said clearly, I, John baptized with water, I baptize with the Holy Spirit. So, cessationism is a big problem. Especially in younger generations in whom the Spirit is stirring. But there's no church around them to go, hey, that's the Holy Spirit. You're not having panic attacks. God's increasing your sensitivity to, to spiritual things. And, but there's no church around to say, hey, let's, I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to teach you about this. But that's why God has called me. And God is calling others to start to say, hey, this is what God's doing. And this is what it looks like and this is what you need to do. And we're going to talk about what you need to do in the next podcast episode. <laughs> Cliffhanger! Sorry. <laughs> That's a lot. I, I I felt like I threw a lot at you. I was trying to give a really broad overview of some of the history of the church, church movements, and in terms of how the role of the Holy Spirit has been reduced more and more and more over time. First, in the Great Schism of 1054, when the Catholic Church split from the Eastern Orthodox, and next in the Protestant Reformation, when... Protestants separated from the Catholic Church. And with each new move, there's been less and less of an idea of the active role of the Holy Spirit in any way. And here we are, 2,000 years later, you know, believing that, oh, the Holy Spirit, you, you can't be, you can't be sensitive to the Spirit. And yet, we see the Spirit increasing in these three waves. And now the fourth wave, we see a new kind of 
move, which is one of the oldest, all the way back to the third century. Monasticism, contemplation. It's like God's bringing back the old ways and bringing us back to the central thing that the church was meant to be founded and grounded in, which is the Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> and next week we'll talk about if you feel like you have spiritual sensitivity, we'll talk about growing in that sensitivity and opening ourselves up or how we can open ourselves up to begin to learn and grow. It's taken me, since my spiritual awakening at 22, I'm 50. So it's taken me, you know, 28 years to really get to this place of being sensitive and, know, and understanding my spiritual sensitivity, how to walk in it. But that's because I had nobody around me to teach me. I was stumbling in the dark and I stumbled upon contemplation. But like, I'm here and I believe others are here and there need to be be and are, I, I think, some elders who are kind of further along the path to help lead the younger generations in the thing God has already started to do. That's what this new church is about. All right, guys, this has been a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Stewart. I'll talk about more of this in the next episode. See ya. Bye.